Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Hey, happy Tuesday. You and I did that thing again. Where uh, we, we should have we should have started podcasting two hours ago and we finally got there. But this is actually a very cool podcast. We got a great one coming up here. We do. We're gonna get right to it. We've got a very special guest we're calling right now. It's Jason Camisa, video producer and host at Haggerty. You might have seen he's got a growing number of video series on Haggerty's YouTube channel and some very hilarious rants for his know it all videos. <laughs> yes. We're calling him right now. Hello, um, are you calling about my extended warranty? Yes, we've, we've been calling and calling. Thank you for finally picking up. Hey, welcome, yeah. man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This Don't get too excited, though. I haven't had enough coffee. Okay, so, all right. Yeah. Well, no, we're, we're glad to have you on. We figured we'd talk cars, and we didn't have anything prepared in advance necessarily. We have, we have a few thoughts for you because, uh, you know, we've definitely noticed you're with Haggerty now, but I think we wanted to back up a little bit before that. Oh, I wanted to go way back. I think, I think I'm right here, Jason, but please correct uh, me. I think... The first thing I noticed of yours was Automobile Magazine. You and Sam Smith, you wrote about your Mercedes 190, and he wrote about his E30 M3. I think that's the first thing I remember reading. Am I correct? Yeah. I, I, wow. You, you're going way back. I am. Uh, that is one of the first things I, I wrote uh, in the industry. So I start, I did start at Automobile. Okay. Um, the, the job was actually to run the – it was like a business position to run the website. But, of course, oh, okay. really the reason I took the job is because I wanted to travel the cars and write about it. Sure. And uh, it didn't take long for Sam and me to wind up in an argument about how the E30 M3 was – incredibly inferior to the Mercedes 190 E2.316. <laughs> right. And, uh. and, and of course I look, I have an E30 also. So, you okay. know, I'm allowed to talk smack about, about the E30 M3. Um, but uh, as I pointed out to Sam at the time, I'm like, note that I have an E30 325i on an M3 because it's the vastly superior car. Um, and that Funny. turned into us having an argument in front of our editor in chief. And she's like, you know, you guys should do this as a feature. So we did. Very fun. Very um, fun. It was it was a lot of fun. I've I've followed both you guys pretty much since then. Now, granted, when I was reading that, I was still working full time in the film industry. It's before I wound up as a car guy for a living. So I've been following you guys forever, which is really cool. And Sam's going to be on in a little while. We're yeah, excited we'll, about we'll that have as Sam well. On a little bit later, but I'm, here's my main question, and and I, yeah. I'm not asking you to, to name names, but I just I, I if I'm right, I think you've worked for about every major magazine. You're now with Harry, <laughs> so I'm curious, and I, and I don't this want you to say question which is too. a bit of a winding path here. No, no, I, I don't want to say which is best, which is worse. I don't really want to sure. go there because people move around. But the the questions I have are: What are your favorite things about this crazy industry, and what frustrates you the most? Ooh. Okay, so first to address your concern that I'm a bed hopping hoe. Go for it. Embrace it. That's fine. All good. <laughs> no, so I, I did. I mean, I was I was with Automobile for six years and then got uh, the call from Larry Webster, who had just taken over on track mm -hmm. um, and was assembling what he thought <laughs> was the dream team, um, which included me and Sam. So basically half of you know, the, the industry want to work for on track. Um, we did that for, I was there for three years, I feel. And then okay. um, in the middle of that, I get a phone call from Motor Trend uh, because Carlos Lago had quit and he was doing all of their videos. Mm -hmm. And they thought, well, we need a 
older, less attractive version of Carlos. <laughs> um, so let's get let's get discount Carlos Lago, which actually they didn't realize they were getting discount Adam Sandler. Um, and then uh, that lasted for two years before I definitely didn't just walk out in incredible frustration. Um, and then, uh, and now I'm back at, at Haggerty working with Larry and Sam and so, so many of the same players that we, I mean, Sam and I were together at automobile, then road track and yeah, here yeah. now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so the, the thing I love about the industry is, or of this whole job really is the access to the cars and, and even more, um, access to the people who make the decisions on the cars. Mm-hmm. And that's because there are so many times when you drive something, you were like, what? In God's name, are they thinking? Like, what were they doing? What were they thinking? And the ability to just pick up the phone or write an email and call the people who made those decisions um, is really interesting. Because often, you know, what doesn't make sense on the outside um, makes perfect sense once you understand some sort of limitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're working against or some sort of budget constraint or some goal that you never thought that they would actually have. Um, so I love that. Can we apply that to YouTube that. comments because they don't no, know we what we're working no, with? No, and there, so, can we <laughs> focus that on YouTube any... where everyone's an expert? It's yeah. perfect. It works oh, yeah. out really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really understand how video production works. It's just, yeah. It's really wonderful. No, you're, but, um, you're right. I, I, yeah, we've experienced the same thing. You know, being walked around the car and you're asking about a particular thing, not realizing, no, that's the person that made the decision about the thing you're asking about. Oh, yeah. let and, me back and, and then, well, but then they, but to Jason's point, then they reveal the this is this way and not this way because of blank. Because of the and reason. of course, right. there were four thousand meetings and even more emails that led yeah. to that reality. But it, but it is revolutionary for sure. Keep going. Yeah. Um. So so a great example of that was I was at the New York Auto Show. Um, and I wound up in a taxi with a very drunken designer, um, coming back from an automobile party. Um, and we were talking about the Jaguar XJ and the XJ, this was probably 20, I don't even remember, 2010 it launched and had blacked out, uh, blacked out pillars around the window, deep pillars mm-hmm. in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, I just kept thinking, what are you doing? What are you thinking? This doesn't work and whatever. And that was when my, my, Mind is blanking on his name at the moment. This is, is it it's Ian? the two brothers. It was Ian. Yeah. yeah. Ian Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the car at the end, who's very Scottish and really pissed. He's really drunk. <laughs> um, pissed in the I British sense. I love it. That's and good. Uh, it and I'm like, what do you, you know, what do you, what was the deal? And he's like, well, have you ever noticed that the greenhouse of the car is one size smaller than, narrower than the car is? And I'm like, no. And he was like, right. That's why I did it. So you didn't notice. So what happened was, or as it's the technical term is, what happened was he was working with the XF um, and they had to use the same greenhouse, the same glass, same pillars, oh, same sure, everything for, sure, for sure. crash and rollover. And he had to apply that on a wider car. And if he blacked out the pillars, you didn't notice that the, that the greenhouse of the car was a size smaller than the, the body of the car. Interesting. Um, and I was like, that's amazing. But here's the problem. We're not allowed to have tinted windows in the back. So the whole wraparound concept that he had, which worked beautifully in Europe, didn't work here. And mm. he let out a string of expletives. He was like, what? Oh, no. Bleep, 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 bleep. When he realized, I'm like, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, as, you're, you're up the creek, dude. When The, the car is going to look really weird when it comes here. And he's like, oh, no. It was, it was just hilarious. But <laughs> I love it. Th- that sort of insight was really amazing because it was a head scratcher. Why are they mm-hmm. doing this? What right. are they doing? And then. Um, so I have so many examples of that where just something doesn't make sense on the outside. And then you talk to the people involved and you're like, that's amazing because mm-hmm. there are so many 
so many complexities to building a car and so many regulations and rules and things that targets have to hit that you just never, you know, never, sure. never sure. imagined. So only that's kind of my favorite. looks good is in black. Just order it in black. Yeah. That's what he should have said. Just, well, yeah. just order it in black. Fine. Be done with it. Yeah. Moving on. Right? <laughs> well, you and he was I, like, or just tint the windows. Or <laughs> like, uh, hmm, okay. when that launched, we were at Pebble Beach that year with yeah. some friends that I'm going to be tactful here. They're car <laughs> guys when it suits them. They're not really uh, car yes. guys. They're more just guys mm-hmm. that like to go cool places and like to argue with people. And we saw this on display. They're provocateurs. Because, because, that's a great mm-hmm. word for it. Yes. They saw the XF and they just went, what's going on? And they walked over mm-hmm. there and they spent, I'm not kidding you, we walked away. Paul and I left because they spent like an hour berating the poor man working at the booth. And I was like, that who's this on is contract totally, and doesn't actually work for Jaguar. This is so far right. out of the food chain. Why, yeah. why are you mad about black pillars to this guy? Exactly. Right. How is this your day? We're going to go get lunch while you guys like, do whatever bye. that is. It was crazy. Well, that's it. Like you want to have those conversations and that's, that's to, you just underscored my point. Like I get to actually have those conversations with the people who made the decision, totally. not the salesman at the dealership yes. who you yes. know, definitely did not design the D pillars. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, now that you've met enough people, is it happening to you that you've actually met the person of the new car? What, whatever you're driving, they, they designed the instrument panel, they did the whatever. And you're going, yeah, I, I know this person. Hmm. Let me uh, tailor my comment here. How do I put this delicately? <laughs> do you find yourself doing that, or are you just out with it, knowing that no. they might say, uh, <clears throat> "Hi"? I get, I get a tinge of guilt, but at the end of the day, the my job, I'm paid to give opinion, mm-hmm. and the opinion yeah. is, I don't. I do everything I can. Look, we're all human and we all have our own subjective uh, opinions, Mm -hmm. but I try to make my, any of the things that I write or that I, that, you know, the scripts for the videos or anything I say on like my Instagram car reviews or anything else has to be done as a bit player, right? I'm playing the role of the intended audience of this car. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter whether I like your dashboard or not. What it matters is whether I think it's going to function for its intended audience. Um, and there are plenty of times where I feel really guilty saying this is a complete failure. Um, but I say it and, and if anything, I'll soften it by saying, but obviously they were working against this and this. And, you know, sometimes I'll reach out. Sometimes I'm afraid to reach out because I don't want, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the excuses because at the end of the day, they're the, they're not the ones paying me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I will say like, for example, BMW, I'm really harsh on a lot of BMWs cars in the last couple of years because they're just not doing what i think we as the automotive enthusiast world and and consumers expect them to totally um and i thank good because that means you're paying attention because i'm sorry (laughs) i'm right about this not i'm kidding Um, no you're absolutely right keep going quick side note quick side i loved your instagram posts of the e30 grill versus the current what we call beaver teeth i loved oh my god but keep going yeah thank you so we laugh so hard but i mean but the interesting thing is that i back up all of the uh, you know i make an argument Right? I make mm-hmm. basically a bulletproof argument on why why I think this is the case from the perspective of the prospective buyers of the car. And BMW tends to not get mad at me, which is amazing mm-hmm. because I've said some pretty terrible things. And they're like, well, you know, you backed it up and it is what it is. I mean, you know, they're not going to they're not going to say we agree. Sure. Um, sure, sure. Of course not. But they've they've definitely implicitly said, OK, we get we get your point. Um, and the and the other the other side of to answer even to bring the things all together and to answer your question. One of the other things that I love is having the voice that I do, I get to influence car companies uh, 
to, for their own good. So there was one car that debuted years ago, and I remember asking the PR person, I'm like, you need to help me here because I don't see anything to be nice about. Like, <laughs> what? this is not going to go well. And the response was, slam the S out of us. Um, go ahead, because they need to hear it. Mm, interesting. And I was really? like, what? And like, yeah, we know. And I'm like, all right, well, help me out. And this PR person gave me a list of, of things that were genuinely an improvement over the previous model. This is better. It does this. It does that. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But hey, you say what you need to say because if you feel that way, you know, maybe it'll affect some change. And uh, it was a one-year – I've never seen this before or since, really. But it was a one-year-only model that had a massive revision um, and, and, and like sort of emergency e-brake U-turn revision sure, on the car. Sure. And it was because – the, the way a lot of these car companies work, a lot of the, the sort of non-American car companies, is that the U.S. subsidiaries can't really tell the parent company what to do. They get mm-hmm. in big mm-hmm. trouble. Um, this is definitely the case with the Germans. It's definitely the case with the Koreans. Um, and to a lesser extent, even with the Japanese uh, car companies, where the home market's like, look, we're just going to give this. We know better. Um, mm-hmm. And the U.S. subsid will say, like, I, no, you've got this is not what our market wants. You've got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of those cases where the press was so bad on this car that the parent company was like, oh, uh-oh, uh, I guess they were right. And they undid it. And mm. um, that happens a lot. It happens sure. pretty often where you have where PR people who are like, hey, say what you need to say. I don't, you know, on a person you can see in their eyes on a personal level, they agree, <laughs> but they'll get fired if they say it. Exactly. So. Is that PR person still around? How long do they last, by the way? Uh, that PR person is still very much in, in that position, You're doing well, me. thriving. No, wow. no, because at the end of the day, that sort of added, like, it was a help. It was a help to mm-hmm. tell me, like, you, you know, you're not wrong. Uh, here are the things that we did do better than the last model. But, hey, say what you need to say, because sure. ultimately it helped push back on the parent company to affect changes, which made the product better in the long run. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm sure some egos got hurt and yeah, I'm sure a yeah. couple of people got really upset, um, ultimately it was for the better of the consumer and the company. That's um, great. Yeah. Well, great. Now that we've established that, can we ask BMW to pull a Control Z on the M4 and the new 4 Series? We've We're all talked hoping. about this endlessly. We're all hoping. Jason, we are I, trying to ho- hopefully hear some feedback that Beaver Teeth has been used in a corporate meeting at BMW somewhere on the planet accidentally <laughs> because they've read a review or heard something and they refer to the front. Oh, there's the no Beaver Teeth. Uh, yeah. Mm, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's no question. Look, you know, BMW... First of all, the people that I, I know, a lot of people, I've met a lot of people over the years at BMW in North America, mm-hmm. and I will say most of them are kind of, when you get them aside, uh, outside of their work, they understand, they agree, they're not, they're not blind. Germany right now, BMW Germany headquarters is run very much in, in the way GM was in the 1980s, just mm. bean counters and politics. Um, so you have a lot of people vying to do a job, um, just, just so well, or, you know, and focusing on getting their next promotion. Mm -hmm. Uh, BMW has a very interesting internal policy that everyone has to move jobs. I think it's every two years. Uh, it's two or three at the absolute most. And, and I don't mean like you get a promotion. I mean, you move to a completely different department. Mm -hmm. So you literally over there now, (laughs) you literally can go from, facilities management to project management. So you're dealing with running the building over to deciding what sort of options packages come in the next five series. And then right after that, you're doing events 
and right and so this they are the design really, team too are they included in this <laughs> well yeah so they stay within design <laughs> you don't know what how to is, doesn't matter right doesn't matter you're so, the I mean, now you have to be qualified for the job but what happens is that when you have a two or three year run on a car with a seven year product cycle you have one shot to come in like a firecracker mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. make your mark mm-hmm. and so long as you've made a mark you'll your next promotion will be a big one um and yes. so that's why you see that, that grill that's a hundred percent why you see this this crazy styling language and some of these outrageous decisions that bmw has made it's because people are coming in they got one shot mm-hmm. to make a big statement um mm-hmm. and they're not incentivized for the long term because they'll be out they'll be in a different department working on a different project and it used to be tw- 15 years ago the way bmw was set up that one person would see through a project from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So the person who designed, for example, the E46, who is the, the project lead on that three series, for example, um, would be would be in the conception meetings. So I know I know this, for example, for Z8, the guy okay. who okay. he was part of the whole, should we do a sports car? Should it be a you know throwback or throwback to a 507 styling wise what should it be based on how should we do it from the initial conception meetings through the design process through the engineering process and into production um that one person managed the entire thing and he was on that project for 10 years or however long to eight seven eight years yeah yeah can you imagine the the way bmw is structured now there would be three different people running that project yeah. Throughout, throughout its life, if not four. And each one of them has one shot to make their change. So they're going to come in and say, well, everything else has changed. The only thing I can do is the front fascia because um, that's not done yet. So let me just draw a set of beaver teeth, put it on the front, and that's <laughs> how I show that I did Yay! my job. Yeah. And yeah. That's, I, I, I bet you 500 bucks right now that's exactly what happened with that stupid grill. Is <laughs> someone who knows Deal. nothing about cars, who knows nothing about design, who knows nothing about BMW's heritage, or the buyers of this car, or anything else came in and was like, well, scheiße, I must make the fun things that I can do. Oh, look, I do this, and that's it. And that's then awesome. by, by the time that thing's in production, they're already off to managing events for M customers in Spain or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, the last family-owned companies as well. How much, to your knowledge, does the family part of it influence what's going on? It's like 49% still family-owned. It's quant-owned, yeah. It's, it's one of so, the last, if not the only on the planet, I think. I I think you're right. and the But unfortunately, Johanna Quant, the, the grandmother, who she she was the, the main owner, she passed away a couple of years ago, and the kids just don't care about the automobile industry at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about the same time we, we started hearing BMW change its, itself and saying, describing itself as a mobility provider, that yeah. we are no longer an automobile manufacturer, mm-hmm. we're a mobility provider. Um, and that was about the time when the kids took over and they're you know, not children at this point, but they're <laughs> Johanna's kids. And they just were like, you know, get us money, get us money, 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 money. And they see the end. I mean, everyone understands that this is the end of the automotive world as we know it. It'll change. Everything will, you know, the, the strong ones will survive, mm-hmm. but things are going to look very different in 15, 20 years. And so I think they're just catching out. Like just, you know, get it, take as much money out as you can now, prepare, pretend to prepare yourself for the future by investing in things like big, you know, tech, big carbon fiber factories. Oops, that didn't work or yeah. stupid I eights and stuff like that. And, um, <laughs> 
you know, position yourself as a mobility provider where you're integrating with parking garages so your car can tell you how many parking spots are free and forget that, that your slogan is ultimate driving machine because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. I hear um, that. So what, what frustrates you the most about this whole industry? Is it this kind of stuff where it's non-car people in, in those roles or is it something else? Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's well, it, you know, what actually frustrates me the most is the, the chasing each other's tails. So the Germans, mm. Germans ran the car market, you know, the, the engineering side for the last 40 years. I mean, they really Mercedes basically finished the began and then finished the engineering of the automobile. Um, they financed the whole R&D for everything. Um, and right now, none of the German car makers have the confidence. And I'm starting on Germans, but I'll, I'll expand to others sure, sure. have the confidence to know what they are, who they are, and what their customers want. Mm-hmm. And so you see this weird thing start to happen where, uh, like, all of a sudden, BMWs will have rear-wheel steering. And then next thing you know, Porsche gets it, then Audi gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and then Mercedes will get it eventually. And, it's, you know, like, Audi S models had brushed. It's stupid little examples. Like, the S4 had brushed aluminum mirror caps. And then all of a sudden you realize the 335i had painted silver caps. And then Mercedes will do the same thing. They're all looking at each other and they're ignoring everyone else, which is a big problem. Mm. But they're chasing each other and saying, well, oh, no, Mercedes must do this. I was in a, in a meeting with some people at BMW when a call came in that while they were out of the office, Germany greenlit a four-cylinder X5. And I watched uh, two people from – yeah, I watched two people in the U.S., walk out of the room, pick up their phones and start screaming at, you know, like, "Ah!" and and they came back and they apologized. And, you know, I got it out of them sort of later that basically the, somebody, one of the Germans had waited until they were all out of the office and meetings and greenlit it because Audi has a four cylinder Q5 and Mercedes has Mm -hmm. a four cylinder um, GLC. Therefore we are GLE. We, we have to do it. And Mm -hmm. they're like, but we don't do it just because they do. Mm-hmm. Just because they do doesn't make it right. So that mentality has caused all of the car companies to start chasing everyone. And everyone started chasing BMW in the E46 era. So you have Cadillac, for example, is now chasing where BMW was 20 years ago rather than innovating themselves. Mm-hmm. You have Acura basically wiped itself off the map trying to compete with front-wheel drive cars against BMW. That was never going to work. Mm-hmm. Infinity has ruined itself by mm-hmm. trying to compete. with. So they're all chasing each other in circles. And then... You have Tesla over here going, well, we're just going to ignore what everyone else is doing, and we're just going to sit down and deconstruct an automobile that we think is a better, is is car V2.0, and nailed it. Mm -hmm. And the the traditional car makers were all busy chasing each other's tails. They're like, ah, this is never going to work. No one's going to buy those stupid things. They're built like crap. They have panel gaps, you know, big enough you can drive a Cadillac through them. Ha, 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 ha. And now Tesla is worth more than every other car maker in the world combined. Combined. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's exactly it. I saw a recent quote from the CEO of Volkswagen who mm-hmm. said to the media, yeah, we're not afraid of the Tesla Model 3 or any future Teslas. That yeah, is because your stupid ID3 is going to work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's deathly afraid of Tesla. And this is his way of you know projecting confidence to yeah. the shareholders, <laughs> to Germany. I think he's yeah. absolutely terrified, to be honest. They're, and they should be, because they can't do what Tesla has done. I mean, when you really start drilling down at the end, Teslas have problems, right? They build quality issues. Course, we know about all of, of course, them. Yeah. But 
when you start to drill down into the engineering of the car and how it's engineered, it is a light year ahead, quote unquote ahead, of everything else. And when I say ahead, I don't mean necessarily better in every way, but it's a it leapfrogs everything by just thinking about things in terms of efficiency. And the you know the Germans, for example, have become so self convinced that you can't decomplexify a car. And so all of what we have now is all these cars that with just layer after layer after layer of complexity on top of them, getting bigger, fatter, heavier, and, and, and way more expensive than they need to be because you have the engineer saying, well, at this point, any increase in fuel economy will be incremental. So we're looking at 0.2 or 0.5% gains in, in fuel economy. Mm. So we did that by adding downsizing, which doesn't save you any money, but then adding two turbochargers, intercoolers, high pressure fuel pumps, the, you know, direct <laughs> injection, all this other clutched alternators. So I'm like, wait a second, you've added $10,000 per car worth of equipment with a hybrid battery and all this other stuff for a 3% fuel economy increase. And Mazda comes along with the ND, the ND uh-huh. and adds 25% uh, of fuel economy increase without resorting to any of the same tricks. You're, you're wrong, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just completely mm-hmm. wrong. And that it's not possible. We can't do that. Whatever. Da, da, da. Well, Tesla then comes along. And you want to talk about an increase in efficiency. I mean, the Model S which is the fastest production car, the quickest accelerating production car of all time by some huge margin, (laughs) is also the most efficient. So I think we found a better way. Mm -hmm. Fair, fair, fair. Um, You know, and the Taycan, which example, which is Porsche's answer to it, which, you know, Porsche and Vito is the same company, so I'm sure their chairmen talk to each other. The Taycan, which is about as fast as the now 10-year-old Model S, um, is the single least efficient electric vehicle ever certified by the EPA. So you do the math here. Like mm. you have t- two cars that are the same exact size on the outside, Model S and Taycan. They're about as fast as one another, except the Taycan has a two-speed transmission, so it can walk away from the Tesla on the Autobahn, which mm. is irrelevant to all, all to customers. Every, to everybody point. else, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Tesla has a huge backseat, Two huge trunks. The Taycan has a unusable backseat. It does. Two tiny little trunks. You can't get in and out of it. You can't see in and out of it. Whatever. And it, it does some things. Well, it's a really nice handling car. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're effectively the same size on the outside. But the Tesla actually is usable and is twice as efficient. What? Unbelievable. Like, yeah. What? And, yeah. And and you have VW saying, "Oh, we're not scared of these guys." Bull. I, they're, they're not scared of these guys. The they're they're yes. absolutely freaked out because what? they had problems with that ID three, the the software. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Massive problems. They I think they shut down the the assembly line. To be honest, they did. They they delayed the whole car by six months or eight months, and and this is why you don't. I'm sorry to say, you just don't do software in Germany. Germans do so many things well. They suck user interfaces and they suck at reliable software that's mm. something you just go to silicon valley for mm-hmm. um yeah. and they didn't interesting. they didn't interesting so clearly like us you have no issue talking about cars it's quite straightforward i'm going to ask a behind the scenes question and that is when you're doing sure. your walk and talks like the revelation pieces where you're doing a walk mm-hmm. and talk to camera are you working off like a prompter script or are you just all right i know what this section's about i'm going to go uh so revelations is all 100 percent scripted um, I t- typically write it the day before, or the day before that, um, sure. like kind of last second. Um, <laughs> and we re- we tend to record 
about a paragraph at a time. Mm -hmm. So while they're getting, you know, while I usually meet plus one guy, it's, you know, just, it's very small crew, uh, the crew of one. Mm -hmm. Um, And while he's setting up and like, you know, practicing his blocking, how he's going to be moving, I'll just keep repeating the lines and hope that when he hits record, I'm still able to speak English. Sure. Yes. You know, as soon as that red light is on, you can't speak. (laughs) Is that Anthony Um, that you're working with? Esposito? uh, Anthony, Anthony and I, Anthony's done one of the revelations, um, but he's, He's usually busy, too busy that I have, uh, and also he lives on the East Coast now to fly out here. So, got it, got it. um, I have a guy named Casey out here who's, who's really talented, very easy to work with. Um, and we just mostly laugh at me for, for the better part of the day. <laughs> Perfect. But it all, Works it's great. scripted and it needs to be because it's, it's constantly passing back and forth between live action and voiceover. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. if you don't script that, it, it kind of doesn't work. I totally get it. You so that's one of two series that I'm seeing. You've got a know-it-all series. I think we just vote for the rants, just the know-it-all, the rants. Let's just rant about everything from here on out. Oh, yeah. So sure. it's Revelations and Know-it-all, is that the only two series you're working no, on? No, the, the third one is actually the one that I'm most proud of. So Know-it-all is my like five-minute text explainer video mm-hmm. where it's kind of half a rant. I try to do it in a fun way. But I just I want to take one very simple um, or one very seemingly complex part of being a car enthusiast and and really explain it. So something so simple as... You know, zero to sixty isn't actually zero to sixty. Yeah, you start just, after three feet and things like that. That's what I was like referencing. That. Yeah, that yep. one was. And then the, the third show you get, is you know the, the more passionate you are. I think we, we all we're all yeah, that yeah, way. For sure, know, let's for just sure. get pissed off about that. The, the problem is that people don't want to hear a screaming New York Italian for five minutes. They just get very <laughs> like upset and they're like, "You're raising my blood pressure. I can't. I need a drink." And so I have to like I have to keep calm. Meanwhile, I really want to scream at the camera and be like, "Why are you kidding?" But I can't <laughs> throw things. Yeah. Oh my God, it'd be perfect. perfect. Do you guys remember what's, what's the third Saturday series? Night Live's? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Go on. So just really quickly, remember Saturday Night Live's character Emily Latella that was played by, um, um, oh my God, Gene Hack, uh, Gene Wilder's wife, Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah, she, yeah, yeah. So she played this character who was hard of hearing, and she was like a little old lady with a bun in her hair. Mm-hmm. And they would give her on the on the news segment, they would give her like some something to do an editorial on and she would mm-hmm. mishear or misinterpret thing and go off yes. in this angry yes. rant yeah. about something and she's like what's the problem with violins on television what you worry that these kids are going to like classical music where's the harm in that and she yeah. would just go totally off and then dan Aykroyd would be like uh you deaf wonder not violins on television <laughs> violence you know <laughs> and she would just be like in the middle of the ranch like oh 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 that's different never mind um and i kind of love that that's basically me in the, <laughs> in the <I> <laughs> and i'm just kind of like what do you mean you don't understand why your car sounds angry in the morning it's a warm-up cycle and uh, yeah anyway um so <laughs> <laughs> the third series is called Jason Camisa on the icons. And yeah. this is the one that I, this is the reason I get up in the morning. Um, cool. These are the sort of high production value. Um, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to anyway, the definitive car review. Like mm-hmm. I try to say by the time these will come out, everyone, you think you've heard it all about these cars, but I'm going to, zoom out and not talk about look here's a hubcap and this is what the hubcap looks like mm-hmm. i'll zoom out and talk about why the car is the way it is um from like the thirty thousand foot view um so for example the first episode of icons that i did for Haggerty was on the supra mm-hmm. um and, Great it, piece, by and the way. It, thank you and you see that episode starts out with you know today we're talking supra i literally say to camera and no we're not a little late to the conversation there's a lot you haven't been told mm. um and that was sort of on purpose, 
like a little arrogant and whatever. But the point was to say, like, you think you've heard a lot about the super, but actually there's an untold story here. And the untold story was a lot of people fell for the PR line that Toyota had any involvement whatsoever in the, the engineering and creation of this car. They did not at all. This is 100% BMW. Every part on it is a BMW part, including the Toyota logos. Um, the, it is literally AZ4 in, in drag. Um, and the, the thing that no one discussed is why did that happen in the first place? And the answer is that Toyota approached, uh, BMW approached Toyota right to buy hybrid fuel cell technology for a for a fuel cell version of the x5 that's coming in a couple of years um and so they needed help with tuning their hybrids you know all the 530e and 330e models and they needed this fuel cell that they wanted to buy and as part of the deal they worked out was well you know uh, who knows what they're paying to it we don't know the, the specifics of this but mm-hmm. the deal was they would build a supra on the next platform, uh, Z4 platform. And it benefited BMW also because the Z4 was actually going to die, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. was die off. And they decided when, when they punched the numbers together, if they, if they were able to sell more Z4s, i.e. Z4 plus Supra, um, the, the project would pencil out and they would be able to make another Z4. So it really benefited BMW in that they were able to make a Z4 plus they got the technology of that hybrid fuel cell from the Mirai. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, it seemed to me like, why did anyone ever stop to think like, this is not a collab, as all the kids say. Um, this is not a collaboration, <laughs> right? This was 100% a BMW. You know, you walk into a Toyota dealership, by the way, and people forget this. You can buy a Subaru, which is, you know, the Subaru BRZ, the Toyota yeah, GT86, yep. which yep. that is actually a slight collaboration, but only because uh, Toyota owns, I think it's 13% of Subaru. Yep. So they are w- working together. That has a couple Toyota parts on it, some Toyota technology, but it's predominantly Subaru. Um, but you can also buy a Toyota Yaris hatch and that is, uh, or sedan, and that is 100% Mazda. Mm-hmm. That is a Mazda 2 mm-hmm. built yep. on with a Toyota badge on it. They didn't even change the body panels. And so in a Toyota dealership, you can buy a, Toy- a, a, a Subaru, a Mazda, or a BMW. Absolutely. And why, yes. why is that? And so those are the questions that I want to answer with Super. While, of course, I was drifting the Super around and burning through tires, sets of tire after because sets of tire. Why not? Yeah, of tire. Absolutely. Yeah, because because. That's, what, right, well, that's what we want to see. I mean, no one yeah. wants to see it. I'm sorry, my apologies to Doug DeMuro and company, but no one wants to see a side profile shot of the car and me standing in cargo shorts talking for 25 minutes. Right? Sure. No one wants that. We want to see action. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah. want to see a good race. Or two or three, and there were four of them, I think, in that uh, uh, Yeah, I enjoyed that piece. Episode. It was very cool. We haven't been in the M2CS yet, and we're looking forward to it. We've actually got that uh, for season nine, so we're very excited. Yeah. And that stole that episode. The totally, M2 was totally. supposed to be a prop, and actually, as soon as I was driving both of them for a week before, and I'm like, uh-oh, i got to rewrite the script. Mm. Because actually, as I, you know, as you saw in the video, the, the M2 is kind of the, a better Supra than the Supra is. Mm. Um, and uh, that wound up having a major part in that uh in that episode Fantastic. so yeah that's the that's the show that i'm really proud of really so like are these one. uh on regular rotation what is the release or are you just allowing yourself to you feel comfortable knowing as much as you're going to know or know all of the subject that we're presenting and then produce the video and then release it so it's not on a set schedule or is there you know so these the, come the out schedule or week the, or what is it yeah so the fair question so the deal that i struck with Haggerty was give me a bucket of money and <laughs> F off. Right? And I literally said that to my boss in my, in my meeting. So Larry and I worked together. He was my, he was my boss at, at road and track. So he knows me well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, I just don't want, 
the reason that I left Motor Trend, and I haven't, haven't really publicly talked about this, but there were just too many chefs in the kitchen um, and too many people who didn't know what they were doing were getting involved and they were pulling apart our teams, our production teams. And it was for, for and honestly, they had good intentions, but it was, it was making things more and more dangerous by the minute because when you, don't, when you have a crew that works together and we do all this sliding stuff all the time, mm-hmm. it just works very well. When all of a sudden they're like, we're just going to pull Randy and replace him with someone and so-and-so-and-so, we're like, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to pull Anthony and put him on another show because as a director, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. But he, he sort of created Ignition and Head to Head and the shows that we were doing and he didn't want to be pulled off of it. And so they would try to sub in different directors and the first time they did, I refused to, to be in the episode and um, there was a massive crash immediately. And I'm like, see, like somebody could have died. Wow. This is just not how I work. And so given, given that experience, I was just really gun shy to go and work for someone else again. And uh, I was working at, uh, for a Bay Area startup called ECME, a bunch of great guys yeah, um, yeah, yeah. who have nothing to do with automotive media content, but they're buying and selling cool cars. Mm-hmm. And they just thought of just, you know, me making videos as a, as a, as a good marketing exercise. Um, and I had carte blanche there. And so when, when Haggerty called and I'm like, okay, just give me a bag of money and screw off. And I will produce a piece of content every Thursday or every, you know, once a week, which one of okay. being Thursdays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was basically up to me to figure out how to apportion that money so that I could get, you know, I, I'm the one that stupidly volunteered to do once a week, which I shouldn't have done. <laughs> um, but, but I figured what I did was half of the episodes will be, um, know-it-alls because they're, they're relatively quick to write certainly, and certainly yeah. very easy because I'm sitting at a desk. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the remaining, and we, by the way, I should say it's not 52 episodes a year. It's 40 because we're doing, we sort of divided 21, 2021 into four quarters, basically it's four seasons. Yeah. Um, and each quarter gets, it's 10 weeks on and then three off. Got it. Um, my next so we can keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so each season is 10, half of them will be, so five of them will be know-it-alls and the remaining five will be divided between um, for the year, it wound up being 14 revelations and six icons. Very cool. Um, Very cool. I would nice. much rather, I would, if I had, if I had the resources to do it, I would do not, I would do 20, 10, 15, 20, whatever I could do icons and nothing else. Um, but they're so expensive to produce and mm-hmm. so much work, right. um, right. that I would have never been able to make, you know, weekly con- content and it would have blown the budget in, you know, in, in three weeks. So, sure. yeah, yeah. um, yeah. So you'll see something every Thursday, but every other Thursday is a know it all. And then they sort of, you know, the, the second, the, the E, let's call it the even Thursdays or know it all. Mm-hmm. And the odds will either be a revelations or an icon. Very cool. Nice. I love it. That's so a great- from a travel standpoint, will that, will you try to, travel as minimally as possible to maximize your budget and, and do yeah. more things in California? Or are you kind of open to travel wherever it needs to be shot, wherever the car is located, um, that kind of thing? I'll go wherever. The problem is that we have the crew. And again, this is, you know, the most important thing is the crew that knows what we're doing so we can hop in and just get to work and not mm-hmm. explaining to people what's going on. <laughs> um, and everyone's in LA. So Anthony lives on the East coast and then Randy Popes, who I would love to have in every episode is in Atlanta. But the oh, cameras, right. the yeah. gear, everything else is in L.A. And so we have two episodes coming up, two big icon episodes that I'm hoping to put together in this this spring that we're actually going to shoot in Northern California, like up, up here in San Francisco. Cool. And that, like, I'm already hearing, you know, pushback from all the guys. Like, oh, we're going to drive all the way up there. Um, <laughs> but it's where the cars are and we don't have a choice. Um, right. But it does really make everything much more complicated um to travel so usually most everything we do in la plus 
LA, the thing about LA, there's a reason why Hollywood is there. You don't have to worry about the weather. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely you know? right. You're absolutely right. So, yeah, middle of January, you can shoot there. You can't shoot here in Park City in the middle of January. I totally get that. What well, you, you can for a snow episode. Exactly. You have, to, yeah. you have to plan accordingly. All the good yeah. roads are, are snowed in. You better have something that's, that's happy to play in the snow. Exactly. What, uh, so you're in the Bay Area. You have a lot of cars. How many cars do you have and where do you put them? I, I, you know, I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a hoarder. Yes, I, am. I have seven cars. Okay. Um, so I have an, a Volkswagen E-Golf. Um, and it's kind of one of those things that once you, once you really live with an electric car on a daily basis, you kind of can't go back. Um, and golf is the perfect size for a geographic area where I am. So, um, I'm right north of the Golden Gate Bridge in a county called Marin County, which is very much like Europe in terms of the size of the roads. Uh, there are twisty, crazy tight, um, little itty roads. And frankly, my golf is too big for, for half of them. Um, so that's my sort of daily driver when I don't have a press car and, you know, the car that I can drive in San Francisco and squeeze into a tiny little, uh, parking space. Sure. And Um, not care about it. And not care about it. Uh, even though I, I mean, of course I'm me, I have Michelin pilot sport four S's on it. So (laughs) it literally pulls 1.06 G on the skid pad. Because of course I have V-Box. Of course you can test it too. Of course you did. Absolutely. And I wouldn't zero. I have a zero three four motorsport rear sway bar on it. So now it's steady state oversteers. Uh, I mean, the thing uh, is uh, a right range has gone to, to absolute garbage. I mean, I can go seven <laughs> feet and I'm out of battery, but I'm um, mm-hmm. sideways those seven feet. It's amazing. Um, exactly. And then I have six old cars and the, okay. uh, I split them between, I have a, a warehouse that's like 10 minute drive or 40 minute bike ride away from the house. Cool. Um, and uh, they sort of, and I have two, I have two cars in the garage here at the house, two or three usually, and then a couple in the warehouse, and they just kind of constantly rotate. That's awesome. You have an Elise, don't you? An 09, is it? I have an 09 supercharged Elise, so an, oh. an SC, one of the factory SC cars. See, you, you, have, you have the Elise tab. I have an Elise. I couldn't, couldn't love it more. I have an 06. So Ooh. 06 naturally aspirated, the yellow one that I absolutely right. love. But I thought See, you had the, the you perfect You got one. the yeah. right color. So, I, you know, I wanted a yellow one. And I didn't realize when I bought the black one, I mean, they, they only sold 166, I think it was, or 160 uh, SCs. So they're rare. Mm-hmm. I wanted the SE. Uh, and so I, fi- I found a black one. I took what I can get. But the car is so little and it's so dark that I just am constantly being run off the road mm. because people just don't oh, see me. Sure, um, sure, sure. So on balance, I would take your naturally aspirated uh, yellow one in a second. I love I love my yellow one. I, here's a random. This is a total Elise guys only question here. But your digital dash that you put in does yeah. does that work before the 08s? Does it work in the older yeah. ones? Yeah, it well, does. Are you thinking about upgrade? Okay, because I because I thought that was awesome when you posted about it. I was like, I need that. Yeah, it it is. So interestingly enough, it was a it was a uh, a collab again mm-hmm. uh, between AIM and Lotus mm-hmm. themselves. And we realize now that why that happened is because that dashboard is now um, OEM in the, what that new final edition of the Elise and Exige. Sure. I can't remember sure, what it's called. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but they make it available. It's a Lotus part. I mean, you buy it from a Lotus dealer basically, and it just literally plug and play replaces the analog gauges. I've, and, been, I've been thinking about it. I really have. I, I'm quite intrigued. It's, it's awesome. Um, and here's the thing is I'm not usually that much of a fan of digital da- gauges. I like analog gauges. But the speedometer was the biggest lying beep, beep, beep in the world. I mean, I never knew how fast I was going yeah. because I'm like, am I doing 74? And then you pull out my phone and, oh, oh no, I'm actually only doing 68. And then woo, this literally happened to me. And then I get a ticket for holding my cell phone. 
And I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out if I was speeding or not. Like, because <laughs> the speedometer is such a liar. That's <laughs> very like, funny. Ridiculous. That's very so, funny. So uh, this uses GPS. Uh, it oh, can sure. use its GPS, but you can, yeah, yeah. You can um, calibrate the speedometer. Um, it's just a nice, clean display. And mm-hmm. I wired in a backup camera, which is a life-changing event on an Elise. Yeah, for uh, sure. When backing in the parking spot. All right, so, I'm even, I'm even, more, I'm even more convinced now. Like, now that I've heard that, I'm even more <laughs> Todd's convinced. making notes over here. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, definitely. Yeah, and Todd, listen, there's a, there's an adapter that you need to adapt the pre-2008 cars to it. And they sent me one with mine. Don't buy it. I've saved you 50 bucks. Give me your address. I'll send it to you. So <laughs> you're welcome. Okay. All right. Very cool. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's awesome. Oh, man. I still can't get over um, discount Adam Sandler. That's freaking hilarious. <laughs> everyone finds that funny except for my mother she, she's like you don't look like adam sandler and i'm like i know except i do <laughs> that's what's well, funny but, but i also like the fact that you brought up that, that when carlos lago who does great work when he showed up on camera we kind of all went oh great <laughs> great all of us on camera now we have this guy so yeah yeah, yeah carlos right. is showing us all what it should be well anything you want to leave the audience with any upcoming video projects you want to share or yeah. can share promote promote whatever for sure i mean i would say the best thing to do is follow me on Instagram because um, I often hint out what's coming next. I try not to sort of always ruin the surprise, but I always hint what's going on next. So my Instagram is at Jason Camisa. Um, the coming up, I have, well, I'm, I don't want to talk about it yet just because okay. until the things all come together, Fair some enough. cool stuff coming up. Fair enough. Um, but there's uh, there's a whole lot more than just Haggerty stuff. That's it once a week, and the Instagram is usually once a day. Um, and I try to make sure that the things I post are things that I think people want to see. Not they're not self serving. Look, I made a cake. You know, it's all car. <laughs> I, I, well, that's also not true. I don't do anything other than the cars. Fair. Um, so it simplifies. Um, yeah. But yeah. But I try not to make it about my old Scirocco, which is, you know, my favorite car in the world ever. And it's, you know, every once in a while, I'm like, no more Scirocco posts, Jason. People just don't care. <laughs> Uh, will um, the e-golf running gear fit in that thing? Um, technically, it probably would bolt in. But here's the thing. The the 16-valve the engine that I built for that car is so awesome uh, that uh, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna violent. Violent. Okay. Um, and that's Love kind it. of – that's one of the most uh, – one of the, the most endearing parts of the car. So, nope. No electric manual. Yeah, all my cars are manual and high-revving and angry and – Three of them have motor swaps and like, you know, I do that. But then there's on the other side is I need to just drive into town and not have to worry about warming up the oil before I do a burnout out of my driveway. Totally. Um, and that's what the electric cars are for. Your neighbors awesome. love you too. Jason, they this, do. this is awesome. Thank you, man, for joining us. You are welcome anytime. It's been a long time coming to have you on, but we're thrilled that you would spend the time with us. It's really great. Really, thanks for having me, guys. Much appreciated. Really? Let's do it again. That has to be up there, one of our best guests ever. Jason, thanks for being on. You are welcome anytime, genuinely. Indeed. I can't wait to have him back because he has stuff to say about cars. He, he rivals you and me with stuff to say. <laughs> clearly. For clearly. sure. If you've got your own rant, send it to Everyday Driver TV along <laughs> with your Topic Tuesdays, your car debates, and your yeah, car yeah, conclusions. Yeah. Cars are made to be driven, and we can't imagine a future without driving the cars we love. The folks at Haggerty feel the same way, and that's why they support our show. One of the many things Haggerty offers for people who love cars is insurance for enthusiast vehicles, including classic cars, trucks, and motorcycles, newer collectibles, and boats. They also protect race cars when they're not on track, and they can protect your car when it is on track with HPDE insurance. In fact, we actually use Haggerty Track Day insurance every time we drive our own cars, the Cayman and the Elise, on our local track. It's a huge peace of mind. 
Learn more about Haggerty and quote insurance at haggerty.com slash everyday driver. After running for a while with Jason, I think we should probably just dive right into questions. Let's do it. What do you got? Oh, we've got a few. Actually, you posted a really funny piece uh, of us skiing, mm-hmm. and I have to explain it. I have to explain this a little bit because it created a lot of questions <laughs> because I have a red jacket and you have a blue jacket, and people um, people chimed in, Ty, Ty Grigg, hey, Ty, and many, many other people said, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've stayed with your colors in your personal lives, and I, and I want to try to explain this. I really do. Um yeah, we, we don't always wear red and blue. We really don't. But when I bought my latest ski jacket, the one I found that I like, the only size they had was the mostly red one that fit me. Well, so I got it. And then you went and bought all new ski clothing, and I you picked the color you liked. Because I had a, a red jacket that I had for 15 years. Yes. I bought it in 2005, and it was pretty done. Mm-hmm. And I just decided to go get new ski gear, and they didn't make red. So I bought blue. (laughs) So then it comes that we're standing on the ski run and you take a selfie and we look like we went shopping to get our colors. (laughs) I didn't want green. I didn't want black. And I don't want that weird orange that they made. I wanted a different brand. And the absurdity is I think in car color, if I had my choice as seen by the Z4, I really like blue cars. Yeah, And you you really like like red maroon cars in spite of having a blue cane. I I do like like blue Like red maroon cars. And I'm not really a guy that really likes red cars that much. That's funny. However, I do have to tell one story. When Ben was here, Ben helped us shoot uh, American Original, and he uh, was helping us as an editor for a long time. When he was here for American Original, you brought him over to my house, uh-huh, and uh-huh. he noted that my house is red. Your house is red. <laughs> yeah, which was actually not my doing either. We just bought the house, and it was red, and we had it repainted in a similar color, which means it's still red. Not because I love red. I just happen to live – just to make it even worse. I've made it worse on myself by telling this story, I realize. I would say we we like red and blue equally. Yes, I would fair. happily own a guard's red Porsche 911. Yes, I know you career. would. Yes. I would happily own that. I love blue. I love maroon. I love wine. I, I would say it's pretty much an equal yeah. love depending on the car and product and house and whatever. We just – we branded ourselves – I remember actually bringing – up one of us needs to be red one of us needs to be blue like like this is 15 years ago now we're starting the show and i said which one do you want and you said i'll go with blue and i said well i guess that makes me red and so we just went that way but we tried to keep the branding consistent but now apparently we're so consistent that we just kind of subconsciously buy clothes in the right color i think that photo not only spurred a lot of uh skiing questions but i just grav- gravitate right toward the skiing questions so i'm going to go there because <laughs> right, we are in the middle of the winter we actually are in a halfway decent ski season even though it's been a little light this year hmm. not so light that we couldn't do our crazy winter sports car thing yeah. I'm still very excited about that piece. Thank you to all of you that have watched that YouTube piece. And also, just so you know, coming this week, this Thursday on the Test Drive channel is a prior winter tire piece we did with the Miata RF with the ND2 engine yeah, versus right. a Nissan Rogue representing SUVs everywhere on all seasons. We did a really cool piece on that. It was a TV piece. It's actually coming to it's YouTube this Thursday. The Kleenex of SUVs. To some degree. It, it's the Xerox. <laughs> Moving on. That will be out this Thursday on Test Drive. So if you want more winter car discussion, that one actually is really fun and, and interesting to do the side-by-side between the SUV and the sports car. And last year when we shot that, it was snowing big time. So mm-hmm. we're dealing with ski questions. Chris Hutch 4 said, what's the perfect ski car? He's asking if for you that would be a 911 with a roof panel. I'm going to go to the one we have seen. Mm. The money no object ski car for me remains the Ferrari FF. Yeah, because I've seen that red one it's at so Deer funny. Valley. That is bright red, and the guy <laughs> drives it, and he does what I can only describe as Ferrari parking. He finds a spot where they really weren't planning to put a car, and just puts his car there and walks away, and it's a Ferrari, and nobody bothers him. 
What's funny is you can do that with a Ferrari because any other car would probably get nailed. Probably it's sticking out into the traffic, yeah. and and you'd be you, like, "Why are you parking there?" But you're going to see Ferrari, that. Yeah. Oh, let's go ahead and drive around that. Let's avoid that. And this guy does not have a roof rack. He's a he's every bit as big as you and I. Yeah. I've seen him in his in the lift line. He actually opens up the hatch and runs the skis all the way along, and they hang out kind of by his shoulder up front. And this is how he goes to ski at Deer Valley. That's and what he should. It's a shooting break. That's I, what we the, should do. The with minions it. come and clean it. It's always sparkling. Always. This Deer Valley minions Seriously. come over and spray it off. I yeah, guess. Right. I do say that a 911, like a Targa, would be cool with a ski rack. I don't really know how you make the Targa work with a ski rack. I was going to say that seems like an odd choice, but I take your point. Cups. But any 911. I've seen a few 911s around town with skis on them or just driving in mm-hmm. winter. And I'm yep. going, there it is. Yeah, baby. And, you know, I'm not in my Cayman, so I can't really give them the cool Porsche wave, but it, that's okay. <laughs> You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. There's a question that I want to tackle just briefly. It was asked by Sean H. The last podcast, we didn't get to it quite yet, but it was an excellent question. And I want to dive in more. It's why do car companies make different engines for naturally aspirated and turbo models of the same car? Sean gives this example is Elantra GT has a 1.6 liter turbo, but Mm. the naturally aspirated model is a larger two liter why not just turbo the two liter? I like this question. I mm. dug in a little bit more. I, there's there's a few things. There's a few factors, and not all of them carry equal weight. And there there's no order here. They're okay. they're just yeah, yeah. all all different factors. First of all, is the physical space for that turbo turbo mm-hmm. and their plumbing? Mm-hmm. They take up a lot of physical space. Too. So just to fit it in there. That two-liter engine might not fit with a turbo. Maybe it will. Sometimes you open your your hood and you think it'll fit just fine. What's your problem? But sometimes, just from a manufacturing standpoint, it's not going to fit very well. So they'll turn to a smaller displacement engine. I also want you to think about weight. Generally, the argument here is larger V6s and smaller turbo fours that will change the handling dynamics of the car. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends on what the business brief is for that car. But also think about the worldwide market here. In which markets worldwide is that engine going to be made available? Mm. And is the cost for that engine amortized over a larger market instead of a smaller, more expensive, maybe naturally aspirated engine that really only appeals to buyers in that particular market? For example, larger displacement V6 engines, kind of more of a North American market. Sure, sure. So a smaller turbo, lower displacement engine will actually work better to offer it in more places. Mm. And so it amortizes our investment in that engine. So yeah, we'll offer it as an option over here, but it's also available everywhere else. And you know what? We'll turbo that to get actually kind of competitive numbers and horsepower Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing back out of the engine to get a good performance out of the car. But also think about insurance. In many countries, insurance cost for your car is dictated by the size of your engine. Mm, So a lower displacement 
It doesn't mean a lower power output. They're not looking at power output necessarily. They're looking at displacement. And then you have to consider emissions output for each engine. And then, you know, of course, what the, what the efficiency is overall and what manufacturers want to get from an efficiency standpoint mm-hmm. in different markets. So you're essentially just giving the marketing team something new to write about and promote and advertise. <laughs> now so, with smaller engine, but more power. <laughs> for sure. So I'm not saying that a, a smaller capacity turbo is more efficient for, you know, in every case, it's more efficient for the low load kind of stuff. It, it can... It doesn't necessarily make it more efficient, just turbocharging an engine. So it's not just about efficiency, but it's all about power. It's, again, a balance between all of these things, depending on the market, depending on fuel availability, we'll say, in different markets and different regions around the world. But I think the biggest thing, you have to come at it from a cost and business standpoint to understand, well, this engine... I guess we'll make it available everywhere because we can get more dollars out of the tooling for that, but we've got to throw a turbo on it to get performance. So, okay, and we'll just offer it in the North American market too. Great. But we can also offer these bigger displacement engines for you know less stress, but maybe higher load capacity, maybe regular on the fuel, market, other options like more that. people ride in the car, for example. No, fair. Okay. So, okay, let's offer a different engine for that. Last question for me. Barbara Peterson is saying thank you for uh, for us freezing ourselves to death doing the cheap winter sports car tire comparison. She's appreciating it from afar and glad it wasn't her. I, I'm glad it wasn't you too. It wasn't all that fun. However, the driving part of it was fun, but we just suddenly yeah, got besieged by sideways snow in the middle of trying to, I don't know, trade tires in a parking lot. But her, but her question is, you have uh, Michelin AS4s on your car the as your all-seasons, right. and I have AS3+, Plus, which is yeah. the generation prior, because apparently between three and four, there's a plus. Anyway, so because there were threes. Moving on. Telling you, marketing people. But her question is, She's wondering about the fact that she has AS4s on her GTI. She's wondering about that as a winter car. And she's asking if those all seasons would have done better with either weight in the trunk of our cars to put more weight over the back Mm -hmm. wheels and or chains. In general, Barbara, yes. Small rear-wheel drive cars with very little load in the back. I'll give you the extreme example, pickups we see around here. You will mm-hmm. see those guys occasionally with pickups in the winter. And what they will do, if they don't need their pickup bed, they will load the pickup bed with snow and leave it till springtime. Yeah. They do that entirely yeah. for weight because the back of the truck weighs so little. So weight does help. I, there's trade-offs about do you put a bag of kitty litter? What do you do for weight in the back of your, of your little sports car? I don't typically do that, but I, but I know it's a recurring thing that has happened. However, chains absolutely help. They're no fun to drive on. They're no fun to put on. But I remember when I lived in Los Angeles, we, we ran all-season tires because it was Los Angeles. Right. Okay. Right. But we would take our, our Yukon up to Mammoth. And a lot of times when it was really snowy, you get above Bishop, and it was chains required to do the last little climb. So we would put chains on our Yukon, and it would be great with chains on. Chains really genuinely work. And there are other alternative traction devices, the chains. In all cases, you're putting something over the tire. There's some cool ones that the highway patrol runs. I remember that, like, they walk up, and it's like a net, and just chuck it against the tire, and it opens up, and it's awesome. You're done. Right, right. I was like, my hands are freezing. How'd you do that? But that absolutely is a great traction device. But the problem is the ride is terrible with them. And your speeds are really, really low. So they're a great stopgap measure for something like I'm talking about. You're in L.A. and you found yourself in the mountains. It's not a good daily solve. Yeah, Barbara, I just you're, you're asking for the next video because I can't imagine that adding chains, for example, 
will increase well will help the moose test because of that sharp turn in mm. it doesn't really affect the shoulder as much it's more about the straight line stopping or straight line going absolutely yes but that yes. swerve that avoidance that initial turn your in, handling was not improved that's uh, fair <laughs> see she's just asking for the next video Uh-oh. put chains on and we got to do the moose test again <laughs> Last question for me is from Dave C., who's asking, what does the lack of manual transmissions in new cars mean for track days? Well, since I think that must mean you'll be driving a very intelligently shifting automatic transmission or some cool dual clutch, your lap times are going to go down. True. Your engagement will also go down, but you may get focused better on your line because there's less to think about. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Hope you enjoyed this ongoing series. We're planning more guests. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, thanks to Jason. So write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Really appreciate it, guys. Cheers, everyone.